Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told them the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, <clears throat> excuse me, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Who can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Sorry, that was mine. That was so loud, stomping with her high heels on. <laughs> she isn't very graceful. Um, <clears throat> so this morning, uh, Ron, thank you so much for your prayer. I don't even know if you knew that this was the passage we were going to be speaking about, but that was spot on. Um, when I was 20 years old, I was getting on a plane and heading back to Portland after a California spring break. It was, um, you know, just a normal flight. I was getting out my book and my journal, my Bible, my headphones, my MP3 player, because let's be honest, I, iPods were not invented yet. And a girl similar age to me sat down next to me, um, clearly ignoring my cues of the no eye contact thing that you do on the plane when you like don't want anyone to sit next to you. And as soon as she sat down, my heart started racing and I instantly knew that the spirit was about to tell me to do something that I really was not in the mood to do. And I just kept waiting for the guidance. And sure enough, he was like, you're going to talk to her on this flight. And, and I was like, okay, like that this is what it is. I am stuck next to her for the next 90 minutes. And um, throughout the flight, we just began regular conversation just talking about what we were both doing in California, who we were visiting. She actually was a student at Reed. We were both heading back to Portland to go back to school. And um, it, it was a great conversation. But through it, I was able to share. I was down in California visiting my dad, who I had recently really just started a relationship with. Um, for those of you that were here when I did share my story a while back, 
I was a foster kid for a long time and connected with my dad much later in life. And um, through the conversation, she started asking questions and I was able um, to actually share my redemptive story, what Jesus had done with her. And uh, I got to pray with her before we got off the plane. And it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, a moment of like, yes, she came to Jesus in that very moment. And like, you know, you could hear the angels singing. It was just one of those moments where I was like, okay, God, like I did what you asked me to do and I'm going to leave this up to you. And I trust that whatever that conversation meant to her, she's going to ask more questions to somebody else down the road. Um, I just want to pray with you guys. And then we're going to start talking about um, evangelism, which is quite the hot topic and a triggering word for a lot of people. So thank you, John, for giving me this. Uh, as George MacDonald prayed, be thou then first the one thou art. Be thou the calling before all the answering love. And in me wake hope, fear, and boundless desire. Jesus, we come to you this morning and just trust that you are God. You are who you say you are. And Lord, I just pray that you awaken within us the desire, Jesus, to see people that we have surrounding us come to know you so that your kingdom can flourish here on earth. In your name. So this morning, I'm going to break down kind of the passage that we read, and then um, I'm going to get to a few application points, and uh, I'm going to challenge you a little bit because that's just what I do. Uh, And so in this passage, we see that there is an angel that tells Philip to go. And that's what happened. Philip heard it and he went. There was no questions asked. Philip was just like, all right, I'll go. And then the spirit told Philip to walk beside the chariot. And Philip ran to it and started walking next to it. And Philip then listened where the Ethiopian was at. And he started a conversation with him. The eunuch had questions that he didn't have answers to. And through those questions, Philip was actually able to share the gospel with the eunuch. And the eunuch was baptized in the first water he saw. He, what can stand in my way of then to be baptized? He was so excited to follow Jesus. See, the, the Ethiopian, he was a delegate in charge of the, the queen's treasury. This guy had a high position. He was wealthy. Um, and he was coming from Jerusalem, which is in North Israel, which is a really long way away from where he was traveling. So uh, it's, it's actually, it's modern day Southern Su- Sudan area, um, just south of Egypt. It was historically the land of Cush in the Old Testament and then the, until the Assyrian conquest. And then um, now it's modern day Sudan area. And so it's, it's just west of what you, you see now as Ethiopia. And we see that the eunuch was, was reading a scroll. He had the actual scroll of Isaiah in his hands. 
which meant the guy had money. Like they were not common. It wasn't, you couldn't just go and get a free Bible anywhere at that point. They were written scrolls and there were very few copies and he had one. And he was reading the scroll and he couldn't understand what it was trying to say. So Philip is, I don't know if you remember the last time I was here, I was actually talking about him. His name was mentioned in Acts 6, where he was one of the first deacons. Um, Philip was an obedient guy. He answered the call, whatever it was, he went. He was bold. He was the first one to go into Samaria, which were ancient enemies. They weren't like friendly individuals to, to believers of Jesus. He was a student. He knew the word inside and out. Like he studied it and he really knew it. So that he, when he had that opportunity to, to go alongside the chariot, he was like, do you understand what you're reading? He, he knew. He lived a life of integrity and no one, no one questioned Philip. And then one of the interesting side facts that isn't relevant, but I just want to share with you guys is that Philip had four unmarried daughters that were prophets, which was a huge deal. Um, no one talked about their daughters in those times. They talked about their sons and their, their, what they do. And, you know, it's, it's all about the sonship and what comes next. Philip had four daughters and they were prophets. They were leaders in the church that actually spoke in boldness, which was huge. And that was in later in, um, Acts when, when Luke stays with him, that is discussed. So I just wanted to point that because as a mom of three girls, first of all, I can't imagine having four, let alone if they were prophets, because that's a lot of words being spoken in a house. So the Ethiopian, after the encounter with Philip, um, they were reading through Isaiah and he got to show the good news. And Jesus, we're seeing it, it shown to this eunuch that Jesus is for all. Jesus is for everyone. It's not just for the people, the Jews that were in Jerusalem. Um, it's for anyone. And, and he was just so excited about that. Um, in Isaiah, later on, a few chapters later, which he had the Isaiah scroll, he clearly could get to, um, it actually talked about the eunuchs and how they were welcomed into the kingdom, which was amazing. See, the thing is that Philip created a conversation. He started a conversation and then he moved into a participation aspect where it was a dialogue. There were questions being asked and that enabled him to share the gospel. The redemptive gospel story is what Philip committed his entire life to. People called him Philip the Evangelist for a reason. How important is the redemptive story to you? It clearly was important to Philip. But how, how important are the souls of the people around you to you? Are you studying the scriptures to be ready? Do you feel ready? when you encounter someone that asks a question that finds out that you're a believer. In 1 Peter 3.15 through 16, it says, but in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense 
to anyone who demands it from you, and accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned against those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. So maybe we hesitate to share the gospel because we aren't prepared. But is there a hope inside of you, the way that you're living, that causes others to ask questions? Are you willing to open your mouth at the most awkward, inopportune time because the Spirit is pulling you that direction? If you're a Christian, a disciple, an apprentice, that means that you have dedicated your life to Jesus and his ways. Your mission is to do whatever Jesus wants you to do. But we can't do that. We, we can't do what Jesus did if we haven't worked on becoming like him. And we can't even work on becoming like him in, until we spend time with him. See, the thing is that just like Philip, we're seeing that Jesus, that there's a conversation piece with us in Jesus. There's a conversation piece that we need to be with Jesus. To become like Jesus requires participation. And then it leads to doing what he did, which is sharing the gospel. So are you so wrapped up in his love and his grace and his excitement about the gospel that you can't help but overflow? Honestly, the question to that or the answer to that for a lot of people is, is no. You get scared. You get scared. You get caught off guard. It's inconvenient. So what are you selling? Because everyone is selling something. We're saying something about our lives. We sell what we expend our energy and time on. Otherwise, there wouldn't be Instagram influencers. Which, someday. So what is your life communicating that you're trying to convert people to? Is it a stance on the vaccine? Is it a stance on COVID? Is it something political? Is it something justice related that you speak out about that you're trying to get people on board with? See, the interesting thing is that Barna did a study that shows that two in five practicing Christians, so not just people that call themselves Christians, people that are practicing Christianity. So 38% agree that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they will one day share the same faith. It's almost 40% of our church that doesn't think that they should share their faith with people. John Tyson, a great thinker on this subject, he says, traditional apologetics exists to make Christianity reasonable or logical, but cultural apologetics exists to make Jesus beautiful. And I love that. I love that. Are we making Jesus beautiful to people? Are you respectful to people that don't agree with you? It has really blown up in the last three to five years of social media in particular. There's no accountability for what you say for the most part. 
You can get banned eventually, but it takes a bit. Are you know, are you are you actually sharing things or commenting on other people's things if you're on social media that it, that is uplifting? Are you making Jesus beautiful in those ways? Are you a student of the word, living a life of integrity and listening to the spirit? We're all selling something. You see, one of the other things that Philip did in this passage that we see that that echoes throughout the rest of scripture is that Philip didn't disqualify anyone from the love of Jesus. The gospel is for all. He went to Samaria, not the most coveted place to travel. He converted a sorcerer uh, that was really well known. And he was an evangelist to an Ethiopian delegate. He spoke to people higher and lower and equal. He didn't care your background. He just spoke the gospel. And he spoke that truth with all his heart. This sorcerer Simon was an interesting story with Philip. And he went on to lead a life with Jesus. You know, Philip convinced him to give up his power and his money to serve others, which was a huge deal. So much so that other, other disciples came and actually were like, what's going on here? Because they heard about it. The Ethiopian, like I was saying earlier in Isaiah 56, it actually says, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let not any eunuch complain. I am only a drudgery. We are not to disqualify anyone to hear about Jesus. And sometimes it makes more sense to disqualify people that we don't really know but we end up disqualifying people that are closest to us in our circles. And sometimes it's out of fear. One time I was sitting in a room with um, somebody sharing, a, sharing the gospel and we were just having this really intense, deep conversation. And I looked up and um, it was Marshall Mathers, which is better known as Eminem. He's a rapper. And I woke up from that dream but I also was like, man, that would be awesome if Eminem became an intense disciple for Jesus. And oddly, I have that reoccurring dream. And I've had it for like 12 years that I have these gospel conversations with Eminem. I also have them about Clay Matthews, if anyone is <laughs> knows who Clay Matthews is. It's really weird. Matt and I and our kids go to his like family cabin with him and like hang out. It's a it's very weird. And Matt is like super weirded out by it. But we have these like really intense gospel conversations that I can't explain, but I keep having these reoccurring dreams about. But it brings up the fact that we really can't disqualify anyone. We think of people as like so far away from Jesus that they can't possibly. They can possibly. So when you disqualify people, you actually take miracles. God wants to show you away. You're limiting God. My mom is a great story of this. Um, 
When my mom left when I was 13, a lot of people asked me to disqualify her, to write her out of my life, to not look back, to make sure that she was not going to be able to hurt me anymore, that I was setting myself up for disappointment. I hear that a lot in my life, actually. I hear a lot that I'm setting myself up for disappointment. You see, the thing is that if I, if I had disqualified her from my life, the amount of times that, that other people told me to, I would have missed out not only on, on our, the redemption story of our relationship, but I would have missed out on so much healing that happened within myself. And I would have missed out on the relationship that we have now, the relationship I've, I've seen her actually be able to have with my kids now that I never thought was going to be possible. I wrote him or I wrote her a letter uh, this last summer after she came to visit. And it was a great visit, like a really great visit. Um, my mom is sober for the first time in her life. And I've never experienced my mom sober. I had never had sober conversations with her and especially adult conversations. And so it was huge for me to be able to do that. And after she left the summer, I wrote her a long letter. But a part of that letter said that God doesn't want to sweep your life away. I hope that you can see him referencing Jesus, calling him back to you or calling you back to him. The open arms he has for you, the love, the forgiveness, it's all there waiting. When we disqualify people, we don't get to see those moments. We don't get to see what God is going to do in them. Now, my mom hasn't forgiven herself and hasn't walked back into the arms of Jesus yet. But there's no way that I'm disqualifying that from happening. See, the world, to what to the world, what looks like setting ourselves up for disappointment really means just acknowledging that the spirit is the only one that can control the miracle that is about to happen. God invites us to participate with him in this, and we should be excited about that. So now we get to um, the, uh, the part where everybody starts shifting in their seats and getting uncomfortable you as an evangelist. That word triggers a lot of people. See, a lot of people have this this preconceived notion of what an evangelist looks like. They think it's not, it's just not me. It's not who I am. It's not my gifting. See, we have a lot of excuses since the fall. We think of evangelism as one type. We think of Billy Graham, or um, I currently work for the Luis Palau Association, and Luis Palau is a great example of an evangelist. Or if you were lucky enough to be a teen in the early 90s or 2000s, you may have heard it this way. There was a man from the desert with naps in his head. The sand that he walked was also his bed. The words that he spoke made the people assume there wasn't too much left in the upper room. With skins on his back and hair on his face, they thought he was strange by the locals he ate. You see, the Pharisees tripped when they heard him speak until the king took the head of the Jesus freak. DC Talk actually taught us a lot about evangelism, whether you know it or not. 
talking about John the Baptist in that song. In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning says, the ministry of evangelism is an extraordinary opportunity of showing gratitude to Jesus by passing on his gospel of grace to others. However, the, the conversion by concussion method with one sledgehammer blow of the Bible after another betrays a basic disrespect for the dignity of the other and is utterly alien to the gospel imperative to bear witness. To evangelize a person is to say to him or her, you too are loved by God in the Lord Jesus. And not only to say it, but to really think it and to relate it to the man or woman so they can sense it. This is what it means to announce the good news. But that becomes possible only by offering the person of your friendship, a friendship that is real, unselfish, without condescension, full of confidence and profound esteem. Can you do that? Can you tell someone that they are loved by Jesus and truly mean it confidently? We have to get into conversation with people. That's the first thing we have to do. Do you believe that God has you where you are right now? If you are where God has you, look at the people surrounding your life, your coworkers, your family members, as difficult as they may be at times, even your kids. Do you believe that God is capable? See, like the eunuch, we need to be in a place that we say, what can stand in the way? What can stand in the way of us following Jesus, of that person following Jesus? When I was in college, uh, my junior, senior year, I was asked to be, to launch a ministry. We called it The Edge. I honestly don't even remember why at this point, but the tagline was come as you are. Thank you, Nirvana. Um, but we, we basically just started it as a, as a conversation piece. We looked around at all the different ministries that were taking place. And they were great. Like Campus Crusade is great and university was great. But there was, there was something missing. There, there was nothing for people that were outside of those spheres to really come and, and be a part of it. And, and people were asking questions about Jesus on campus, but they had no safe place to really do it. And so we started this ministry that essentially just welcomed anyone we didn't really have an agenda, uh, but we had a room and they were welcome to just come and ask questions about Jesus. That was it. And we did our best to answer them. And let me tell you right now that it is a perfectly acceptable answer. If somebody asks you a question that you do not know the answer to, do not make it up. Just say, I don't know. Let's find out together. Be humble. Because as we started to share and, and hear their questions we were able to share the gospel message. But it started with conversation. It started with us having conversations with people that would have never crossed my path otherwise because that led to participation. Let's find out together. Let's, let's wrestle with these questions together. And then it led to conversations about the gospel. 
A few months ago, John Tyson gave a sermon that I was um, listening to, and and he was telling the story, and essentially the point of it was like, how much must we hate others if we think we're holding the key to salvation and not sharing it with everyone we know? You see, when um, when referencing biblical text, when we're referencing our text today, Dallas Willard calls it this in his book, Over of Gentleness. Apologetics is work that every person should be open to learning how to do and engage in. Another thing we're going to see in this passage is that it is not only a ministry to unbelievers, it is a ministry to anyone wrestling with certain kinds of quandaries or puzzles. We need to emphasize that point strongly. Because the great problem facing the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the doubt we see outside the church. It is the doubt that is inside the church. We need to be able to deal with doubt lovingly, helpfully, and especially without ever scolding or shaming anyone for doubting. We must allow people to be who they are and then be able to meet them where they are. Making Jesus beautiful. That's what our job is. Can you let your crazy friend who's just way over the top or your relative that you don't agree with on any level, can you let them be who they are and then meet them there? So we, have, we need to have conversations with people. And then we need to be willing to participate in those conversations. I had a friend um, after college uh, when I was living down in California, and his name was Steve. He was a great person. He was very energetic, like a very energetic person. He had a lot of doubt. He just wrestled with like everything. That was just his personality type. And he would have these conversations, um, arguments. He would like to pick these arguments with other Christians about uh, different things that he would read or things like that. And I spent a lot of time trying to, to win him to my side. I spent a lot of time trying to convince him that like his doubting was was not valid and that this was the truth and that he didn't need to worry about this rather than meeting him where he was. And he did that with a lot of people, but he eventually walked away from the faith. And I was heartbroken because I was like, why can't he get it? And looking back, I was like, man, you know, I was willing to have a conversation with him but I wasn't willing to participate with him in his journey where he was at. How do we love people? We have to understand the gospel and what Jesus said. Being centered in God's love so that out of that, we can care and serve and listen. Being led by the spirit and not limiting the spirit. See, Philip's heart was for all people, Samaritans, Ethiopians, whoever. He didn't mind getting in the dirt. He didn't mind getting messy. He was totally fine being friends with the town sorcerer until the conversation piece 
led to a participation piece, which then led to the gospel piece. Our middle child uh, is fantastic and creative and energetic. She has a really hard time listening. She has a really hard time focusing. And one of the things that um, Matt started with her that I get to participate with is uh, we, we ask her, what is listening? When she gets so riled up and she can't focus on anything. Macy, what is listening? She'll take a deep breath. Hearing and doing. See, we can get into conversations with people and hear. But can we participate with them and do? Because it's hearing and doing. All too often, we, we separate biblical justice from evangelism. But if you think about it, they, a, they actually work together. Justice, you are the hands and feet of Jesus that, that should invite a gospel message. You should be able to connect that piece. And evangelism is sharing the gospel, but it should stem from participation. It, it should stem from the service aspect of, of getting in the dirt. We have these gospel conversations with people. But really, when was the last time you had a gospel conversation? It's kind of weird. And especially the more entrenched you get within the church, sometimes you find that the only people that you associate with are actually other believers. See, people read the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. And even church people, they called them Pharisees. See, we need people that don't just know the Bible, but that can actually direct people to Jesus. Otherwise, we become these people that are holding these healthy heart transplants, ready, ready at any moment, and we never actually give them to the people that need them. We, you know, we were singing this morning, Megan was singing, and and we sing these words we, that the kingdom is yours. The Lord is at hand. Do, do we believe that? We sing it. But what do we do with those words when we walk out of this building? When was the last time like you looked up where an alpha class was in your area and were like, hey, like I'm going to go to that and I'm going to invite somebody to come with me. I'm going to invite a neighbor that I've been talking with. Or what about Easter service? Have you even have you thought about who you would bring to an Easter service to share about the death and the resurrection of Jesus who gives us life? Guys, practice makes perfect. You've heard that said through your life. And it may not be perfect, honestly, but it definitely makes it more comfortable. When you are sharing the gospel, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. Because conversation is where it starts. Have conversations with your neighbors. Have conversations with your coworkers. And then start participating with them in their questions, in, in their lives. If people have babies next to you, if people are sick next to you, if your neighbor gets COVID, participate with them. Take them dinner, get them a gift card, 
love on them because those are the kinds of things in participating that can lead to a gospel message. So this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, just a call to respond, and we're going to do it over communion. I have three invitations this morning for different people that I feel like God wants to talk to. The first is, God, I don't even know where I stand with you. I have so much doubt. Show me who you are. Give me boldness to ask questions. And the second is help me get there, God. Reignite my passion for your redemptive story. Bring people to mind to pray boldly about who you would have me participating with right now. To not discredit anyone that's around me. But God, show me who you would want me to talk to, to begin those conversations. And the third is, here I am, God. I'm all in. What do you want me to do? To love the people around me, to participate with them. How do I lead here at Citizens and lead? How do citizens then lead in this community? Dream big. Be bold in your prayer. When you come up for communion, I'm going to have you grab a card and your pencils out. I want you to sit with and just let the Spirit bring to mind three people that you're going to invite to Easter service. So you guys have plenty of time to do the conversation part and the participation part. So I'm giving you lots of warning. But let God bring three people to mind that you would want to invite with you to Easter. And maybe you have them for Easter dinner too. So I'm going to pray and Megan's going to come up and play and we're going to take communion and reflect and whatever camp you're in, whether you don't know where you stand with God or you need God to help you get there and to reignite that passion, or you're saying, God, put me in, like, show me what to do right now. I'm ready. Whatever, whatever one you're in, just sit with God in that and allow him to really work on you. And if you need prayer from someone, please find somebody to pray for you in that way. But grab a card, pray about where you're at, and pray for three people to bring so that we can participate and that we can share the gospel. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your redemptive story. Jesus, ignite within us a passion for people. God, let the love that we have for you, our love for what you've done in our lives, let that, Lord, be the light that starts the conversations.
Help us to see people through your eyes. Help us to know when the right time to participate is. For us to be able to listen to your spirit. And Jesus, help us to be bold and to share your gospel story with those that are in our lives and around us. In your name.